Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter and Aaron Blanchfield. Another Aaron B. Set the world ablaze this past weekend. What a performance against Jessica Andrade. Now, this is something that we need to discuss here because... The women's flyweight division finally has some life to it. It's probably been since the inception of the flyweight division that we haven't really seen a true competitor rise in the ranks to have a good shot against Valentina Shevchenko. Let's be real here. If you look at the title challengers and the odds that Shevchenko's had in her favor, we haven't really seen a lot of legitimate contenders coming up. And right now... We finally have a time where there's some life in the flyweight division. The rankings have been updated. Aaron Blanchfield now at number three. Number two is Manon Fioro. And number one is former title challenger, Tyler Santos, who gave Shevchenko all that she could handle in Shevchenko's last title defense. And next week, Shevchenko defends the title against Alexa Grasso, who is another fresh challenger and uh, a challenger under 30 in the women's flyweight division. So, you know, all this talk of Shevchenko moving up in a super fight with Nunes, I think you get rid of that now. I, I, don't, I do not think now is the time. I think right now you have so many different contenders coming up at flyweight. Division's finally gotten to a point where it's evolved, where there's new challengers stepping up, where there's new fighters entering the UFC that are bringing some life to the division. We've got a lot of different possible possibilities here. And another possibility that could spring up this weekend is Tatiana Suarez. We'll get to her a little bit later on if she decides to stay at flyweight. Because from what she said in some interviews with uh, the Schmo and Helen Yee, she's looking to move down to strawweight after this again. So we'll have to see what happens. But she's an instant contender in whatever division she's in, as far as I'm concerned. So if she ends up handling Montana Del Rosa this weekend, as she's expected to do as a 9-1 to favorite, Flyweight division has a lot of different moving parts, finally. Because it, it was a there was a time where you were just trying to find somebody that had the resume to face Valentina Shevchenko. And no disrespect to the likes of Lauren Murphy, Jessica I, Caitlin Chukagian. Basically, whoever was next in line just got a title shot. They're just Everybody was kind of jockeying for position to just try to hit lightning in a bottle at the right time. Because that's what allowed fighters to get title shots. And Valentina Shevchenko, how long has she been the champion for? I'm going to look this up. Because she won the vacant title. She was supposed to be facing Nico Montano, who's the inaugural champion of this division, believe it or not. And she faced Joanna Janjacek for the vacant flyweight championship in Toronto four-plus years ago. So December 2018. It's pretty, uh, pretty remarkable that it's been that long uh, that she's been the champion. You've got how many title defenses now? She's got seven title defenses now. So she's just been rolling along. And Tyler Santos took her into the deepest water she's been in in the flyweight division with a split decision. Loss, I mean, for Santos, but a win for Shevchenko. I think Aaron Blanchfield has what it takes to beat Valentina Shevchenko. And I don't think I've been more wrong on one of my predictions or what I thought was going to happen than I was this past weekend. 
I thought that Andrade was going to be way too much for Blanche Bale to handle. I thought that on the feet she was going to be severely outmatched. And let me explain why. There's a couple reasons why I was wrong. And I can look at them in hindsight and break them down. So for starters, let's look at Andrade. Never lost at flyweight aside from her loss to Shevchenko. Completely overwhelmed Lauren Murphy on the feet. And basically everybody else she's fought at flyweight. She over she finished Chukagian, who rarely gets finished in the first round. Finished Cynthia Calvillo in the first round. Was, I guess, two fights removed from a, an incredible performance back at strawweight against Amanda Lemos. And she's been on a roll, really. I mean, she had won four of her last five. The only loss was to Shevchenko. And that's basically all of her fights at, at flyweight with the exception of the Lemos fight. But where I was really wrong was Aaron Blanchfield. My thought process was, I looked at her first round against J.J. Aldridge, who's a pretty good striker, but nowhere near the level of uh, Jessica Andrade. And Aldridge gave her all, she, all that she could handle in that first round. She probably won that first round against Blanchfield and really made her look like she was ill-prepared to deal with, you know, good strikers. And we're talking last June, right? Like, we're not talking about that long ago. We're talking, like, eight months. So eight months ago, she was having trouble on the feet with J.J. Aldrich. Comes in, faces someone with heavy hands like Jessica Andrade, and walks through her, like, just, like, takes her best punches and, and delivers counters and just did not look intimidated in the least getting hit by Jessica Andrade. That performance blew me away. And I know Andrade came in on short notice. I know it's not a full camp for Andrade. But at the same time, the difficulty of transitioning from facing someone like Tyler Santos, very methodical, picks her spots, you know, looks for openings, versus a buzzsaw like Andrade, who's going to try to walk you down, who's going to apply pressure. Those are two very different matchups. So it's not, you know, it's obviously going to be difficult for Andrade on short notice to face someone as good as Blanchfield, but same with Blanchfield having to adjust on short notice to a totally different type of opponent. And I, I just couldn't believe how poised she looked in there, how easy she made it look at times, how she was able to hit Andrade with big counters and make Andrade kind of, kind of stop in her tracks and be like, well, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to be more physical than Blanchfield. I'm not going to be able to use my best weapons against Blanchfield and use my physicality and use my pressure. She's not going to stand for it. And then once it got to the ground, it was like, it was donezo. Like, Blanchfield got her in that rear naked choke and... And Josh had nowhere to go. It was done. That was a wrap. And I could not believe how easily Aaron Blanchfield beat Jessica Andrade. Like I just, I still can't believe it, really. So let's see how she looks in her next fight, which very well could be against Valentina Shevchenko. You could probably do a title eliminator between her and Tyler Santos again. You bring Santos back to number one, or her and Manon Fioro, and Fioro's ready to compete again. But we've got three very viable challengers right now at the top of the flyweight division with potentially a fourth coming this weekend in Tatiana Suarez. Because if Suarez is able to do to Montana De La Rosa what she's done to her previous opponents, it doesn't matter if she fights at strawweight, flyweight. She'd probably be a favorite against anybody in the UFC right now in those divisions. Probably be a favorite against Zhang. Probably be a favorite against Shevchenko. I, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Like Tatiana Suarez is dominant. 
And I'll be speaking to her a little bit later on today. And you can hear that at the other, the end of the show. But I just could not believe how good Aaron Blanchfield was. Honestly, like... I was way wrong on that one. And I, and I like Aaron Blanchfield. And, and before this fight, I thought that she had what it took to become a champion one day. I just thought it was too much too soon. Having to adjust to a new opponent like Andrade, who's a more striking-based opponent, which is really where Blanchfield has had her troubles in the past. But Blanchfield just was not concerned at all. They did not give Jessica Andrade an ounce of respect in terms of worrying about what she brought to the table. At least it didn't appear that way. And you hear her in her post-fight speech, and they're like, yeah, you know, how did, did she hit as hard as you thought she would? And she was like, yeah, I probably don't want to get hit that much again like that in the future. But she has something you just can't teach, which is an unflappable poise and the ability to rise to the occasion. Whenever I've spoken to her in the past, and she's young, 23, but I mean, she's got an old soul mentality when it comes to goals and achieving goals. She'll talk about wanting to be champion one day. But as soon as she has an opponent in front of her, that's her laser focus. It's just, you, you accomplish all of these little goals along the way to finally achieve the big goal. Like, you don't get ahead of yourself. You don't put the cart before the horse. That's always been her mentality, and it's a great mentality to have, especially in MMA. Because while she's having these big moments... She's not like a Conor McGregor. She's not out there like talking smack about people. She doesn't have like a ton of charisma. But she does have this kind of like youthful invincibility about her. And yeah, she has one loss to Tracy Cortez, who's uh, also undefeated in the UFC. Uh, split decision loss back in 2019 when she was 19 years old, I guess. Yeah, 19 years old. It's crazy to think. But she's looked great since then. And I, I just think that uh, she's got such a bright, bright future in this sport. Especially after that performance. Like I said, blew me away. Let's talk about the, uh, the rest of the night. Not, not a whole lot to talk about, to be honest. Um, you know... And again, another situation where, like, you think you know it all and you, you have all these samples and blah, blah, blah. Jordan Wright never goes to, has never been to the third round. Zach Pauga wins a unanimous decision against Jordan Wright. Now, my question here is, like, when you have a guy like Jordan Wright who will get into firefights and has shown a propensity to get, him, get ahead of himself and get finished. And you're a guy like Zach Pauga who was the... Runner-up on the Ultimate Fighter. You're now back at your natural weight class at light heavyweight. You're 34 years old. Is this the kind of perform? Like, what, what are you gaining from this kind of a performance? Like, nobody was wowed by that performance. It was a very smart performance. Like, it was, you know, the, the path of least resistance for sure. You take away the space that Jordan Wright needs to perform. A guy with more of, like, kind of a karate base. Kung Fu base, where he needs that distance. And Zach Poe got stifled that. And, you know, it's a co-main event. Like, in your first UFC, real UFC fight, I mean, not the ultimate fight. I'm not saying it's not a real fight. I went against... But let's say it's your first fight in your natural weight class. It's your debut. You get a co-main event spot. 
and really, like, are people people aren't going to be talking much about Zach Poonga after a performance like that. And it's not a disrespect to him. I think, again, very, very smart approach. You want to win your first fight in the UFC? That's great. But you also have an opportunity that you can seize in that moment that I think that he squandered a little bit. I thought he could have outstruck right. He probably could have gotten a finish. Probably could have taken him down and looked for something on the ground. It seemed like he was just more than content to hold him up against the cage and implement a you know, a game plan where he clinched him against the cage and just didn't allow him to move. Hit him with little punches up against the cage. And Jordan Wright looked frustrated, and it was a frustrating, I think it was frustrating for everybody. It might even be frustrating for Paunga, because I'm sure he would have liked to deliver a better performance. Jamal Pogues defeats Josh Parisian. Unanimous decision win for Jamal Pogues in his UFC debut. He had good performance as well, but again, you know, if you ask me about this fight in three weeks, I won't remember it. That's, again, not a disrespect to this guy, to Jamal Pogues, um, or to Josh Parisian. But, you know, it was a pretty good fight, but it was... Nothing really stood out about it. And I thought that it was probably closer, actually, than the judges made it out to be. I thought that you had to give Parisian the second round there, but it seemed two of the judges didn't agree with me. <laughs> That's This is certainly not the fight that I'm going to be uh, getting on my soapbox about judging <laughs> on, believe me. We have bigger things to worry about than than that fight. Now, here's one. You know, if I'm going to talk about underwhelming performances, this one took the cake. Marcin Prakniev defeats William Knight, who seems very content to just stand there and get kicked in the leg repeatedly. Like, just... And Prakniev seemed happy to do it, too. Like, as as bad of a performance as that was from William William Knight... Like, Prakniya probably should have finished that fight at some point in time. You've you got basically a stationary target. I was surprised by that performance on his part, too. It seemed like he could have done whatever he wanted, and he was just happy to leg kick, step back, leg kick, step back. And William Knight just had nothing. I think that's going to be the last time we see William Knight in the UFC. It's too bad I had a good conversation with him yesterday, or last week, rather, uh, you know, Seemed like he was poised to bring back the old kind of reckless William Knight, but he took zero risks whatsoever. And his coaches were yelling at him between rounds. I don't know what happened there. Like, I won't accuse him of fixing a fight, but that's what a fixed fight would look like. <laughs> it's just the guy standing there getting picked apart. Again, I'm not saying that that's what happened, but I mean, that's... I'm not going to accuse anybody of fixing a fight. But that, I just, like, what was he doing there? He's standing there just getting pieced up. And it's not like he was getting hurt that badly. It's just leg kicks. I obviously, it limits what he's able to do, and I understand that. But by the time it was going to be his turn to fire back, he, you know, his legs were already shot from those leg kicks by Pracneo. Yeah, that fight is uh, that was an all-time donut performance. Just, uh, yeah. I mean, let's move on. I, I, there's not much more to say about it. It's just. If you want to watch an all-time bad performance in a 15-minute fight, look no further than that. That was just like... And it's not like Pacquiao didn't do his part to at least put out an offense. I mean, he landed like something like close to 80 significant strikes in the fight to William Knight's, I think it was eight significant strikes. They landed over three rounds. Yikes. Anyhow, that's uh, that was just a bad performance. Alexander Hernandez defeats Jim Miller. Uh, this was a pretty good fight, and 
it went kind of how I thought it was going to go, unfortunately, you know, but was also the kind of win that Alexander Hernandez really needed. Hernandez has had a really bad run of late. He uh, was one in three in his last four, and his only win was a short notice win over Mike Breeden, who has not gotten a UFC win. I don't think he's even still in the UFC. But it's been some time since we've seen the kind of performance that we're accustomed to seeing from Alexander Hernandez. Probably more than two years. I mean, the Chris Grutzemacher fight is probably the closest thing. But at the same time, you look at who these losses are to. Drew Dober, ranked. Thiago Moises, I believe, is ranked or was ranked. Maybe even at the time he was ranked. Pretty sure he was. Renato Moicano, I believe, is ranked. And Billy Quarantillo is ranked, I believe, at featherweight as well. If not, he's close, on the cusp. I think those are tough, tough opponents. So you can't really take anything away from Alexander Hernandez. This is the level of opponent that he should be beating. Is a Jim Miller. This guy's a great fighter, but you know, since he got to the UFC, he had that great win over Dariush in under a minute. This was back in 2018, so we're talking five years ago now. Beat Olivier Oban Mercier. So those were his two first fights. Like those guys were ranked, I believe, at the time. But then since then, lost to Donald Cerrone by uh, head kick. I believe that fight was in Brooklyn. Got a win over Francisco Trinaldo. Lost to Dober. Win over Grutzemacher. Lost to Moises. Win over Breeden. Then two straight losses to Maicano and Corntillo, respectively. Followed by the, the win over Jim Miller. So he's not exactly... like This is the level of guy that we've seen that he's been able to beat. And it seems like as soon as they give him that level up in competition... Something goes wrong for him, and he's not able to get the win. Whether it's a lack of cardio, which has been an issue for him. Or whether it's just he's facing guys that are really, really good. But Alexander Hernandez continues to be an exciting fighter to watch. And this was the kind of win that he needed against a guy. We know what we're getting from Jim Miller. Jim Miller has fought really well in recent years. It's not like this is a guy who has been a pushover. He's on a three-fight win streak going into this. So, uh, a really strong win for Alexander Hernandez, and nice to see him back on the uh, the winning track. Nazim Sadikov defeats Evan Elder. You got to feel a little bit bad for Elder here because he won the first two rounds, at least on most of the judges' scorecards, and basically just needed to get through this round. And forty seconds in, Sadikov hits him with a strike that opens up a nasty cut right above the eyelid. And those are the kind of cuts that doctors are advised to stop fights because you could lose your vision. So when people say, oh, I saw some people online, oh, you, you shouldn't have stopped the fight. The doctors and the referees, there was a reason why I believe it was Mark uh, Smith who was the referee for that fight. And the reason why he like immediately called the doctors is because the referees are looking for cuts in terms of placement. Like where is the cut and what is the risk of letting a fight continue if they have a certain cut? There are certain ones that they look for specifically when they call a doctor's timeout, and this was one of those cuts. So the silver lining for Elder is he got fight in the night bonus. Both him and Sadikov got an extra $50,000, but Sadikov, Sarah Longo product, gets his uh, win in his UFC debut. Great, great performance from both these guys, fight of the night, and I think they both have good futures. We weren't really sure going into this because neither of them have fought great levels of competition prior. But it seems like they were a great matchup for one another. So let's see what they can do in their next outing.
Uh, Myra Bueno Silva scores the Nibar submission over Lena Landsberg, who today, uh, I'm recording this on Tuesday, uh, announced her retirement from MMA uh, at age 40. So uh, kudos to Myra Bueno Silva. She's looked really good at bantamweight. I think she should stay there. Um, but, I mean, she's calling out a lot of names. Like, she's calling out Juliana Pena and Raquel Pennington. Like, she wants to get to the top of the division. I think she could do well against them, so I don't blame her. But, uh, you know, wins over... Lena Landsberg, and who was her last win? Another. Uh, and Stephanie Egger. And Wu Yanan. Like, these aren't wins. Like, how big of a favorite was she in all of these? I guess the Egger fight, she was a small underdog, actually. But she was a big favorite against Yanan and against Landsberg. So. I think Myra Bueno Silva is very talented, though. Her striking is really good. And her submission game is really sneaky. Um... What makes her such a great fighter is that, like, you know, she's so good on the feet that you almost have to stay on the feet with her because if you go to the ground, she's going to figure out a way to sub you. And you're almost safer on the feet against her, but she's still really good on the feet. <laughs> so that makes for a dangerous recipe for her. And how old is Myra? Myra is 31. So she's, like, in her prime right now uh, as a fighter. So eager to see what she can put together. I think that she can beat a lot of women that are ranked in the bantamweight division. Jamal Emmers defeats Hussein Askabov, uh, handing him his first professional loss. This was just the second UFC victory for Emmers, but a really good victory and uh, one that he should certainly be proud of. I thought the first round was fairly close, but uh, he, he really ran away with it after that. Um, I don't think any of the judges gave Askabov the, the first round, but I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty close round. I did score for Emmers. Uh, Felipe Linz knocks out Ovin St. Preux. Under a minute into the fight. Kind of unexpected. You know, both these guys typically have longer fights. But uh, a really good performance by Felipe Linz. And I wouldn't be surprised if St. Preux calls it a day after that fight. He has not looked good in recent, in recent years. His only win in the last two years is a split decision win over Shogun Hua. Who we saw how he looked recently. Not great. But, you know, losses to Tanner Bozer, Jamal Hill, Felipe Lins. Like, they're not, we're not talking about bad levels of competition here. And he has a win over Alonzo Menafield back in 2020. But I think that at this point in time, especially a loss like that to Felipe Lins, a guy that isn't really known for having big power, that's a big red flag. And he was just, like, standing there and just trying to get out of the way. And Lins picked him apart. AJ Fletcher defeats Temba Garimbo by guillotine choke second round. I really like this performance from AJ Fletcher because I think Fletcher's gift and his curse is that he's really aggressive. He's a good finisher and he's a very he's he's a very good offensive fighter. He's great at finding openings, but the reason that's his curse is because he sometimes he overcommits and ends up gassing out. And I think that in this situation he had opportunities where he could have gone full bore and decided to take a step back, calm down. You have, you're have you in a good position right now. You're winning this fight. There's no reason to rush. And I thought that that was a really good look from A.J. Fletcher. And in the first fight of the night, Clayton Carpenter scores a rear naked choke win over Juan Camillo Ronderos. And uh, Clayton Carpenter looks really good. He, he looks like he's the real deal. And man, flyweight division. <laughs> Men's flyweight is going to be awesome the next couple of years. I'm just saying it right now. This guy's 26 years old. And the men's flyweight division has so many good fighters in this age range. 
So that's uh, UFC Fight Night. Blanch, uh, Andrade versus Blanchfield. That's your, uh, your recap for that. In terms of my picks, everything was going pretty well until the, uh, the main event. Where I, you know, had a lot of different eggs in the Andrade basket and uh, that didn't, uh, didn't turn out. But it is what it is. This weekend, UFC Fight Night returns to the Apex for the second straight week with Nikita Krylov taking on Ryan Spann, Superman. And before I looked at the odds for this, I said to myself, how big of a favorite is Ryan Spann going to have to be for me to pass on this? And I was thinking, like, maybe the minus 200 range. Turns out he's an underdog, plus 142 right now on FanDuel. So I am really high on Ryan Spann in this spot. I think that Ryan Spann has looked fantastic lately under the tutelage of uh, the great Safe Saud. And um, I, I'm really excited to see how he looks in this fight. I think that uh, he's somebody who, like I said, has really kind of come into his own lately. If you look at his recent wins, uh, two straight wins, one over Iwan Kutelava, the other against Dominic Reyes, just absolutely destroyed both those guys. So I'm eager to see how he does. And Nikita Krylov too. Nikita Krylov has looked really good in recent performances as well. Win over Uzdemir. Win over Alexander Gustafsson. Uh, lost to Paul Craig last year. Uh, about a year ago. And prior to that, loss against Ankalaev. So he's losing to pretty good fighters. His losses, basically, his last four losses are Craig, Ankalaev, <laughs> Teixeira, and, Blah- and Blahovich. So like, Ankalaev, who fought for the title recently... And two and two former champions in Teixeira and Blahovich. So, I mean, nothing to be uh, too disappointed there. And then the Paul Craig fight, that just showed a total lack of fight IQ. He jumped, you know, he was doing great against Paul Craig and jumped right into a triangle. Which, you, that's the one thing you can't do against Paul Craig if you want to beat, win, you know, win against him. He's got one of the most devastating triangles in the sport, let alone the division. So now, him against Span, I think, is a really interesting matchup. But, uh, you know, one thing about... Krilov that we've seen from him since he's joined the UFC, aside from, I guess let's talk about his light heavyweight tenure, all of his losses have come by submission. So he lost via Von Fluff choke to Ovin St. Preux, a guillotine choke to Misha Zirkunov, an arm triangle choke to Jan Bohovic, two decision losses, so I should say decisions there too, but in terms of how he's been finished, all the, me- the method of loss in fights that didn't go the distance were all via different chokes. And if you look at Ryan Spann's career, most of his wins, I believe, are by submission. So he has a guillotine choke win over Kudalaba. He's got a guillotine against Devin Clark. Has a guillotine on Contender Series. And he's got several chokes on the regional scene. So if Krilov doesn't mind his P's and Q's, I think that we're going to see Ryan Spann end up getting a submission in this fight. Now, FanDuel doesn't have a uh, subline just yet, but uh, the opener elsewhere is plus 500. So once that comes out, that'll definitely be a dart throw for me this week. I think span by submission is a very viable path in this fight. And I also like span outright because span's hands have looked really good too lately. So I was very surprised by that line. I thought that we were going to see span as the favorite. Him as an underdog to me is a no-brainer. Andre Muniz 
minus 245. Brendan Allen, plus 186. You know, it's difficult for me to go with Brendan Allen here. I think that he is a really good, aggressive fighter. But I think that he is somebody who takes a lot of risks. And against Andre Muniz, you don't want to be that guy. I, I like the uh, Muniz. I think Muniz ends up winning by submission in this one. And it's not exactly... I mean, that's how he wins most of his fights, so it's not exactly a... Uh, not exactly speaking out of turn here, but I think that is his best path. Muniz's decision line at plus 500 is uh, not bad either. So that's a, that's a fight I'm looking forward to. I think uh, Muniz is always fun to watch. I think this card has a, a couple good fights on it. I, there's also a lot of fights that are just contender series fighters who are just making their first appearance in the UFC. Seems like that's what the Apex is for. See, if it were if it were me, I always talk about this. And people at the UFC hate when I say this. Because they don't want to have to do this. And I don't blame them. Because they already work very tirelessly as is. They should do a Wednesday night fight night. Where you just put like six fights on in the Apex. And you just sell like a two hour card to content providers. It's just extra. You, you, you call it maybe not fight night. Wednesday night fights or something like that. And you just, you have the apex, you just flip a switch. And you put like one staff member that's always in charge of these Wednesday cards. And that's where you have these fight nights where, you know, you could headline with like Suarez versus De La Rosa. I mean, even Krilov versus Span, like that's an appropriate headliner or something like along those lines. That way you can bring the show back on the road, but you still get some extra content out there. But I, I, you know, I understand why they don't want to do that. I think that that's uh, a lot of extra work. But hey, you have the uh, the resources. People want to fight two, three times a year. If you ask any fighter, they have people with a desire to compete. Probably have enough people that can fill in short notice if you need somebody. I feel like there's uh, an opportunity there to uh, to monetize if you're the UFC. Wednesday night fights. But I digress. Let's get back to this card. Augusto Sakai against Dante Mays. Sakai is a minus 136 favorite. The comeback on Mays, plus 108. I, I really like Augusto Sakai here at minus 136. Again, Sakai is another one of these guys where if you look at who he's been facing and who he's been losing to, we're talking about some pretty reputable heavyweights here. Because Sakai was ranked for some time. Comes into the UFC. Beats Chase Sherman. Andrei Arlovsky, Marcin Tybura, and Blagoy Ivanov in, in, you know, sequentially, four in a row, looks great, is ranked, and then he loses in a main event to Alistair Overeem. I think it was also a main event against Rosenstrike, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, main event against Rosenstrike. Loses to Tai Tuivasa, and then Sergei Spivak. Like, these are good heavyweights. And no disrespect to Dante Almeida, but he's not of that caliber. His wins are against Roque, Martin, Roque Martinez, who's not in the UFC anymore. Josh Parisian. He lost a decision to Hamdi Abdelwahab, which was overturned to a no contest. Lost to Rodrigo Nascimento. Lost to Cyril Ghan. So really, his wins are against really lower level heavyweights. I, I don't think that Sakai is there yet. I, I think that Sakai is 31 years old. <laughs> like he's prime years for heavyweight. Might, might even be entering his prime as a heavyweight. I think you're getting a great line here on Augusto Sakai at minus 136. Great line. Not a great line is Tatiana Suarez at minus 900 against uh, Montana De La Rosa. You need to figure out a method of victory here if you want to uh, 
do something on this. Could be submission, could be decision. I would tend to go submission in this situation at plus 275. But uh, I think Suarez rolls here, to be honest. Like, as Suarez is even a shade of who she was before, she should roll here. But then again, you're getting Montana Del Rosa, who's a good fighter, against someone who's been off for three and a half years at plus 520. So, not the worst dog shot you could take, but man, I mean, you could look like a complete and utter idiot for taking Suarez, for going against Suarez, based on how she's fought previously. But hey, if you want to take it, you can certainly do a victory lap after. It won't be me. We got some Canadian on Canadian crime here in the UFC. We've got 10 Canadians on the card, on, on the uh, roster, not on the card, on, on the roster, 10 Canadians. And you have to put two of them against each other? Like, do we just want to make sure that one of them doesn't look good? I can't for the life of me fathom this matchmaking. There's 10 Canadians that are active right now in the UFC. 10! But 30% of them are on this card. And you're putting Mike Malott against Johan Linus. I think they're probably the only two Canadians that are in the same weight class. I might be wrong on that. Well, yeah, I think I'm, I think that might be the case. I don't even know. And you're having them face each other. Why? Why? Give them you need, you don't need give give Canadians a chance. I mean, hey, if they were fighting different opponents, they could go 0 and 2 on the card. At least we're gonna have a Canadian that walks away with a win on this card. But that's come on. Don't be cruel to our Canadians. Mike Malotza minus 245 favorite. Johan Linus plus 186. Uh, I have to go with Malot here. And uh, I, I might, I'll probably take the inside the distance or the submission prop. I'm not too sure which one I'm going to take, but uh, that's probably the method. I think Johan Linus is good. I just don't like this matchup for him. Not a great matchup. Jasmine Jazdavicious is the other Canadian on the card. She's a plus 104 underdog against uh, Gabriela Fernandez. I need to do a little bit of research on this one because I don't know exactly what she's going to bring to the table. I think that it's going to be a really interesting matchup because I think that Jazdavicious needs a win here. And this is the second time where she's kind of taken on a newcomer from Brazil. At least Fernandez has been more active. You kind of know what you're going to get. But yeah, Jazz Davis is an underdog. And uh, I think she's a great fighter. She started her career quite late. She is uh, 33. She's just turning 34, I think, next week. So I think it would be a nice birthday gift for her to get a win here. But uh, Gabriela Fernandez... Is 29. She's the younger fighter. She's on a bit of a win streak right now. She has won seven in a row. She's beating pretty good competition as well. Aside from one like 10 and 9 fighter. She's fighting a level of competition she should be fighting. So we'll see uh, how she looks. Uh, I'm going to have to see what kind of a fighter she is. I don't know much about her. So I'll probably have to watch some of her fights this week. And see how she looks in terms of her game and how it would match up against Jasmine. We've got Trevor Peak against Eric Gonzalez. Trevor Peak looked good on the uh, Contender Series, a good regional prospect. 
Eric Gonzalez, the ghost pepper, has not yet won in the UFC. Lost to Jim Miller and lost to Terrence McKinney. Peak is a pretty big favorite here. And uh, I think it's warranted based on how he looked on the uh, Contender Series. I think he's looked pretty good. Has a win over Kama Worthy on the uh, regional scene. And that's an issue with the law. But it seems like he has turned his life around a little bit. Not really sure what to expect from this one, to be honest. Trevor Peak is a minus 210 favorite. So somewhat steep. Uh, Victor Martinez taking on Jordan Levitt. Victor Martinez, Vic the Brick, has a win over Jacob Rosales on the Contender Series. Was supposed to take on Jordan Levitt last year, actually, and, and have to withdraw from it. Now they've been matched up nearly a year later. Levitt coming off of that loss to Patty Pimblett back in July. I always like to look for Jordan Levitt submission lines because he's just so crafty with the submissions. But uh, that's kind of the only way you can play it, in my opinion. Levick could also win the decision. Who knows? He's a good grappler. But Martinez, I need to see a little bit more of his game as well before I make a determination on that one. I think that's a... Uh, I, I always like watching Jordan Levitt fight. I think he's he's fun. O'Day Osborne taking on Charles Johnson in the flyweight division. O'Day Osborne, big power, and Charles Johnson's got good durability, so... I understand why Charles Johnson is nearly a two-to-one favorite, but I, th I believe this is a short-notice fight for uh, Charles Johnson. O'Day was supposed to take on Denny's Bondar, who withdrew, and Charles Johnson taking the fight on short notice. Uh, this one would probably be a pass from me, but I understand why Johnson is favored. Uh, Narulo Aliv taking on Rafael Alves. Now, one thing I know about this fight, Rafael Alves will always fight for your money. And Aliv, the he, you know, he's known as the uh, Tajik Eagle. He's got some pretty good wins. But uh, I want to see where this line goes. I want to see if some extra money comes in on Aliv. Because if so, I might I might jump in on Alves later in the week. I think Alves can get close to 2-1. to one. If he can get close to the, the plus 200 range, I might jump in on Alves. Just because I know he's an aggressive fighter. He's... Always looking for finishes. And Aliv is relatively inexperienced. He started his career... I guess it's five years ago now? Against a guy named Khabib Khabibulov. I mean, if that's not a good win, I don't know what is. So that's uh, that fight. You got Haley Cowan, who got a contract on the Contender Series... Taking on Aylin Perez. Aylin Perez coming off a loss to uh, Stephanie Egger in her UFC debut. Um, another one that I, you know, I don't really have a, a strong lead on. And then Jose Johnson against Garrett Armfield. I, I really like what I saw from Jose Johnson. It seems like this line's starting to tighten up a little bit. Um, Armfield is 0-1, uh, lost to David Onama. But if I recall, he looked pretty good in that first round against Onama. Um, Jose Johnson, his record doesn't look great, 15-7, but he's 27 years old. And if you look at his losses, like his... So here's who he's lost to. He lost to Mana Martinez, who's in the UFC. Lost to Ronnie Lawrence. Again, it, it was... I, I don't know if he's still in the UFC, but he was in the UFC. And those are his only two losses since 
2018, since the, well, since the end of 2018. Those are good level of competition. He's been fighting good fighters. Be the 10-0 guy on the Contender Series. Knocked out Dulani Perry, who I believe was on Contender Series in 12 seconds. Triangle choking as Mo Miller, who was undefeated at the time. And was uh, also on Contender Series, if I'm not mistaken. He's been beating some really good competition outside of the UFC, like UFC caliber guys. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to take a stab on Jose Johnson here. I think Jose Johnson is uh, the way to go in this fight. Bellator also has a card on Saturday. I uh, will just go through some of the bigger fights on this card. The main event is the title unification bout at welterweight. Yaroslav Amasov taking on Logan Storley. Very interesting fight. Um, it's basically going to be the grappling of Storley against the well-rounded game of, of Amasov. I would have to lean Amasov in this one. I'm surprised the line's this tight. And you've got Jeremy Kennedy taking on Pedro Carvalho. Kennedy is a minus 180 favorite. The comeback on Carvalho is plus 133. So uh, I like Kennedy there as well. Those are the two kind of biggest fights. You've also got uh, Hassan Magomed-Sharibov, the younger brother of Zabit on the card. He's a massive favorite. Um, there's a couple minus 1,000 and over fighters on this card. <laughs> Bellator got a Bellator. Got to give uh, get these guys' records up a little bit. But, I, you know, not to take away from their quality. I don't know. And we've seen some big... We saw Pat Downey, who just got cut from Bellator, lose as like a massive favorite recently. So these kind of things can happen in Bellator. But there you have it. That's Bellator 291. In terms of uh, other news, UFC 288, it looks like we are going to get the long-rumored fight between... Benil Dariush and Charles Oliveira. No location yet for UFC 288. I had heard they were looking to potentially do it in Texas, but um, nothing concrete on that. So we will see where that one ends up. And uh, I think that is going to be a really interesting card with those two fights, with uh, those two fighters going against each other. No main event just yet. Seems like Henry Cejudo is going to be on that card, either against Sean O'Malley or against Aljamain Sterling, depending on how his, um, I think it's stem cells that he got done, depending on how he feels after that. Now, in terms of other fights, we're not really, uh, I'm looking to see if there's anything new. That's uh, that's come about as of late. But it does look like the uh, Sterling and Cejudo is what they're trying to, to put together for UFC 288. Uh, according to Sterling. Sterling mentioned this on his podcast. So. That would be a good card. You have that. You have Sterling and Cejudo. Paired with Oliveira. And Dariush. I like that as a uh, main and co-main. If that's what ends up being the pay-per-view. I'm not sure exactly how much, you know, how marketable that card is. But it's really high level of competition. Uh, some Canadian news. Tanner Bozer moving down to light heavyweight to face Iwan Kutelaba in April. For years, he had always said that... Everybody has said, oh, he should move to light heavyweight. He should move to light heavyweight. He just felt his skill set was better at heavyweight. And he said, well, I don't need to move down to light heavyweight. My skills translate better at heavyweight. And 
seems like he's finally decided to uh, to go down that road and compete at light heavyweight. He's really not that big of a heavyweight, and that's kind of been his thing, but neither was Stipe Miocic or, or Cain Velasquez. So I think that was kind of the approach that Tanner took. So let's see how he does against Iwan Kutelaba. I think that's an interesting matchup for him as a first step in the light heavyweight division. That'll be April 15th. I don't think that they have uh, announced a... Oh, uh, no, actually, that's the one in Kansas City. So that's in Kansas City, Missouri. So kudos to uh, Tanner Bozer on taking that next step. All right, let's get to our interviews this week. Looking forward to sharing them with you. All right. On this week's show, let's go down the rundown here. We will be speaking with Tatiana Suarez, who will be returning to the Octagon for the first time in three and a half years to take on Montana De La Rosa. And we'll be speaking with the three Canadians on this weekend's card, Mike Malott, Johan Linus, and Jasmine Jazdevicious. Excited to speak to them. And last week I spoke to Tyron Woodley, who was talking about his stint as a judge on the Dana White, uh, sorry, on the PFL Challenger Series. Now, there's a slip for you. And it was great catching up with him. I, I always like talking to Tyron. He's always uh, very honest. He's always thinking big. And you got to uh, you got to respect that. So those are the interviews, and they're coming at you right now here on the TSN MMA Show. Happy to be joined by Tatiana Suarez. She's at the PI about to get a, uh, a massage, you know, personal personal therapist. No. I, no? You, it's no? not okay. massage. It's like... Um... What do you call it? PT. PT. PT, With yeah. really soft tissue. It's real important stuff. PT is what? Physical therapy, that's right? Science. Yeah, yeah, physical yeah. therapy. Physical therapy. Well, yeah. it's a big big week for you, obviously. It's been three and a half years since your last fight in the UFC. Um, I was at your last fight. I covered it in Chicago yourself against Nina, then Nina Ansarov, now Nina Nunez. Um, when, you t- when you took that fight, do you feel like had you withdrawn because you had some neck problems going into that fight that... Perhaps you could have come back a little bit sooner. Was it a mistake in hindsight to go into that fight with a little bit of an injury? Sorry. I'm not, I'm, I cannot tell. um, I can't tell you that because I I don't know, but um, I don't know. It was pretty bad going into the fight. I don't know if me competing, I do think it made it worse during the fight. So I'm not going to lie. Maybe not a great idea, but um, I had waited a long time because after Carla, I was really, I was still ready and to, to, um, to compete. So I went into, like, I went back to training right away after I beat Carla and I didn't fight till like maybe nine months after the Carla fight. So I was just kind of itching to get back in there. And, um, at the time it was like a number one contender fight. So I just felt like, you know, that I could probably try to do it with, my neck that way and I would be fine but you know it was I mean it's a fight you really can't tell like what's gonna happen you know but she did a really good job at like holding my my head and I had to like pull up and stuff and it just like became worse and worse throughout the fight so um I don't know I mean I can't look back now I could just like look to what's going on now and um I'm gonna compete on Saturday so here I am (laughs) Well, we're happy to have you back, of course. I can't change that part, so <laughs> can't really. 
what what ended up being, I guess, the end result that has kept you out that long? And was it all stemming from that fight, or were there just a, a couple hiccups along the way? No, I completely tore all ligaments in my knee, in my left knee. In that fight, so that so as a result of that, no. Oh, so that, this I was in training. Yeah, I injured my neck, and um, then I rehabilitated my neck, and I was going to come back. I was supposed to fight Roxanne Mataferi. And then I tore my entire knee in preparation for that fight in camp during, like, a wrestling thing. Now, over I was, the- like, at a wrestling practice. Huh? Yeah, over the years, you've had a lot of these, you know, a variety of injuries, like... What goes through your head when something like that happens to you again? You know, like, because of all of these bumps in the road that you've had, what exactly is your mindset when something like that happens once again and, and you know that it's going to hamper your career? Well, I can't say that it was easy because it wasn't. Um, for a second there, I was really, I was really down about it because I had just stayed very patient throughout those two years. And... Um, you know, I was like, well, you know, what's the lesson here? That's what I was thinking while I was rehabilitating my neck and stuff. And I was like, well, maybe it's just patience. So and then during the time it was kind of COVID and stuff. And so I was just like lifting and doing technique. I didn't do any live for two years. And then um, then I felt better. So I started grappling again and slowly but surely. And then I was then I decided to take a fight because I felt better. I could actually go live and not without any pain, without any, um, like, I, I guess without any pain, without any um, annoyance. And so I started training to fight again, and then I tore the knee. So I guess I could say, like, it was really hard because I had been so um, disciplined throughout that injury, and then I sustained another injury. So I was like, you know, it was really hard to stay like focus it took like maybe I took like a couple days and I cried and I sulked and then um and then next thing you know maybe three days later I was on an air bike with one leg and I was like yeah this isn't going to deter me from doing what I love so yeah so right after that that's when I decided you know three days later I decided that um I was going to do everything I could in order to get back and here I am here we are. Okay, it's, a, it's fight I'm week. Saturday. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> I can tell from, from the way you're laughing that it must feel great to be back. Um, obviously, this, yeah, this is a moment you've been looking for it for a long time. Amazing. Yeah, it does. It feels amazing because, you know, it has been a long time. And this is what I love to do. Like, it's my passion. I think about it all day long. I mean, like, for instance, the other day I was at jiu-jitsu practice and they were I was I got done with just to practice and I was like this was so much fun I can't wait for sparring tomorrow like that's how that's my mentality you know so um I guess it's not really a mentality I think that's just how I am you know I think uh like it's my passion so I love it you know I'm excited to do it every day and this is my big question for you because I this is one of the things I thought about when it happened Another fight of yours that I covered was the Carla Esparza fight, which was a totally lopsided dominant performance. During the time where you were away, Carla Esparza became champion. When that happened, knowing how you defeated her, what was going through your mind when you saw her put the belt on her shoulder? What was going through my mind? 
Uh, I was like happy for her, you know, because she still, you know, ha- um, had to do the work to get there. And I don't really see it that way. I don't see it like, oh, you know, because I beat Carla, like that means I'm the champion or whatever, because Carla had to do the work in order to get there. So I don't take anything away from her. And I didn't really think about like that kind of thing. I just thought, you know, obviously I have the skill set to be at the top and to be the best in the world. Um, But I just need to be healthy. And right now it's her time. But when I'm back, it's going to be my time. I heard an interview that you did with the Schmo where you talked about going back to strawweight after this. Is that still the plan or are you looking at fighting? Oh yeah, this cut's easy. I'm going to be back at strawweight after this. Yeah, so that's the slam dunk. So we shouldn't start talking about flyweight title challenger potentially, Tatiana Suarez. We should be talking strawweight title challenger after this weekend. Yeah, after this fight, I'm going to go back down and I'm going to make, I'm going to just take them all out. Well, it's uh, the division is looking really good with Zhang Veili at the top, but there isn't really a number one challenge that I think immediately that comes to mind. Really. Yeah, I think that I think you're going to be favored against whoever they put you against in terms of yeah. you know betting and, odds. And even if Rose stays, like say I want to fight Rose like eventually, and then not nothing like I don't not like that I dislike Rose. I actually love Rose, and that's probably why I want to fight her because like she's such a great fighter and. Um, you know, she's done so much in the sport that I just, you know, want to fight her because it's like an honor to fight someone who's done so much in the sport. So for me, it's not a disrespect thing. It's like more of a respect thing, you know, for me in that aspect, like you want to fight or go compete against all the best people because then it shows how skilled you are. So like, like, I don't know, sometimes I think people see it as like a disrespectful thing and I, I see it as like maybe the opposite probably because i see it differently like you know i think like in order to um and you know like i i for me i'm just like i want to fight all the best people because then it shows how 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 good i am you know and like i don't know and like sharing the octagon with someone so skilled and great like that's i mean i think that's like a good thing you know for me like i want to because of that that's kind of what Aaron Blanchfield said to me last week about fighting Andrade. He's like, I'm not going to take a shortcut to the title. I want to fight the best people, right? I mean, that's well, the mentality of a, honest, of a champion. I think she was, um, like, I think that was more, you know, I, I understand that, like, you know, Andrade has done a lot in the sport, but I also feel like Tala, I don't know, how do you say, how do you say that girl's name? Tala, Tyla, Taylor, Talia? Yeah. Oh, Tyla, Tyla Santos. Tyla. Okay, Tyla. I think, like, that would have maybe been a harder matchup for Blanchfield just because of her range. She's longer. She's lankier. Um, I think, like, you know, obviously she got Andrade off of, you know, like, she just came back from Rio. Not not taking anything about, nothing t- taking her away from Andrade because I think she's a great fighter. But I just think, like, stylistically, maybe it was a better matchup for Aaron Blanchfield than Andrade. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, Andrade didn't have a full camp, like you mentioned. It's like five days. But at yeah, the same time, right. it's a tough adjustment. It's a very different stylistic it's... matchup for Blanchfield. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I mean, she's a lot shorter. So, I mean, she was probably working on staying long, which, because this other girl was long. So, like, I feel like stylistically, it worked to her advantage because then she doesn't have to deal with a long-range fighter. She has to deal with a shorter fighter, which is, I think in my eyes, a little bit easier. And Montana De La Rosa, your opponent this weekend, 
Um, I'm sure that you were happy to face whoever they put in front of you. You're just happy to come back. But what do you think of her um, as an opponent for you in terms of making this your comeback fight? I think she's a great opponent. Honestly, I think she has, you know, she's well-rounded everywhere. She could do all of it. And so, um, you know, I think it's a great opponent to go against and I'm excited to, to fight. And why flyweight? Your focus seems to be on strawweight. Why did you take the flyweight fight just to see what the cut would be like? I did it because I didn't want to focus on a cut. I just wanted to focus on my fight and being healthy when I got to the fight. Uh, I think when you start doing, a, you know, when you go into cal- like a calorie deficit, your body breaks down a lot easier. And right now, my my um, my goal is to get to the fight. And I haven't fought in a very long time. So I just wanted to make sure that my body was healthy, nourished, and I was getting to the fight healthy. So is it kind of a mental hurdle that you want to jump going into this fight, knowing that you can get this one behind you and then you can start really refocusing on, on all of the other elements of cutting down to 115 pounds? Yeah, I just think that like I hadn't cut to 115 in so long and I also gained some muscle. So I think it was just going to be a lot harder. But now that I'm making the cut to 125 and it's so easy and I know that like, with just proper diet, because I didn't diet at all for this fight. I think with just like proper diet, I think it'll be an easy cut to 115. And like, like I have a good team. I didn't have like a anybody helping me with like cuts prior. I did that. I did all of my professional fights on my own. So I think with like the help of like, you know, the the PI and having all the the access to this, um, it helps a lot with that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So very want- fortunate here. I don't want to put undue pressure on you here, but there have been a lot of new fans to the sport that came during the pandemic. I'm kind of excited for them that they get to see what you're all about this weekend, right? I think that's kind of cool. Oh, yeah, that's not added pressure. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I think uh, they're going to be uh, they're gonna be like, who's this girl? She knows how to wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've proven that many times over. So uh, we're really happy to have you back. Um, looking forward to seeing you do your thing on, on Saturday. Montella, uh, Montana De La Rosa is the opponent. It's this Saturday, UFC Fight Night at the UFC Apex. Thank you so much for doing this, Tatiana. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And sorry for being late. Proper Mike Malott competes at this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. 15% of the Canadians in the UFC are competing in one fight. Yourself against Johan Linus. Uh, you were also my broadcast partner at Unified 48. That was a lot of fun. And I remember that night. You mentioned to me, I've got an opponent. You told me who it was. Then you went on Twitter and said, I've got my opponent. Somebody sent me a message and said, who did Mike tell you he was facing? And I said, I I can't for the life of me remember. And then it ended up being Johan Linus. So I don't believe you told me that night that it was Johan Linus. Bit of a change of plans. How did this come about? Yeah, I I, I wasn't lying to you. I had another opponent. I actually woke up. I, I accepted another fight. I had accepted multiple fights actually before that, but... I had uh, another fight, another guy I was supposed to fight, and uh, woke up one morning and had a message from Johan because we've trained together, so we follow each other on Instagram and stuff. And uh, he just said, hey, man, uh, UFC offered me you, you know, kind of weird, but I guess that's where we're going. You know, I guess it's going this way. So I was a little confused because I thought I already had an opponent. So I went to go message my manager, and right as I was about to message him, I got a text from him saying... Hey man, uh, change of plans. They they're putting Canadian against Canadian for some reason, but uh, yeah, this is your new guy, Johan Lannis. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I know him. All right, let's let's do this. So we just uh, messaged each other back and forth, Johan and I, saying basically like, we'll just keep it professional. 
we'll scrap it out. We'll have a beer after. You know, it's funny because I couldn't remember who you told me you were facing. And then when I saw it was Johan, I was like, I don't think he would have told me that because I would have remembered that. It was like, again, you mentioned it. Two Canadians in the UFC when really I think there's only about 12 right now that are actively competing in the UFC. Yeah, he's the he's the only other one in the weight class. So he posted something like a picture of him fighting. And then he said, uh, fight signed. Let's find out who the best. And then Canadian flag is. And uh, some, some Instagram account messaged me saying, hey, are you fighting Johan Lanis? And I said, uh, what makes you say that? And then they sent me that screenshot. Like, you're the only other Canadian welterweight. So just by process of elimination, it has to be you two. I'm like, well, you'll find out. Yeah, some solid detective work there. Since yeah, really, right. There's really no other options that it could have been. I mean, yeah. I don't even think there's a 55er or an 85er that's competing in the UFC that's Canadian, unless I'm, I'm forgetting somebody. I think power bars. Uh, it, it, yeah. And Mac Desi's at 55. So I guess that would have yes. been... The, okay. and, you know, I don't think either of those guys is, well, Power Bar is definitely not moving to 170. That's for no, sure. No, definitely not. That guy looks <laughs> And Mike Desi, I think, is fought at 45. So he's also yeah. definitely a smaller 55 or so. True. Yeah, I mean, even if you yeah. want to go super detective, you're probably yeah. still going to land on Johan Linus. So have yeah. the two of you crossed paths in the past? I mean, like you said, he texted you. So do you guys have any sort of experience going um, in training or anything along those lines? Yeah, so we trained together about a year ago. He was getting ready for his debut. I was getting ready for mine. He came out to Niagara Top Team to train for about a week. Um, so we were in the same room for a few days, but we only got one round in together. So, you know, I've I've kept an eye on him as far as like a potential opponent before getting to the UFC because he was the champion in CFFC. I was coming up in CFFC, and that was basically the fight I was looking for, right? Trying to become the champion in a solid regional promotion and get pulled up to the UFC, but. He and I both got pulled up to contender series before we were able to fight in CFFC. And uh, so I saw him in, in Niagara and we kind of joked about that. Like, yeah, we were supposed to fight, but you know, we're the only two Canadians in our weight class. Like no way the UFC matches us up. Like let's just train together and, and be buddies and stuff. And predicted that one poorly. Yeah. That didn't work out quite as, uh, as expected. I would imagine. No. No. Now in, in terms of Canadians in the UFC, like I mentioned, I think there's only about 12 right now that are yeah. actively competing uh, I think it's 13 if you count Sheldon Westcott, who's still, for whatever reason, in the USADA pool, but hasn't competed oh, really? in five, six years. Yeah. So yeah, I think he still gets tested by USADA, but he hasn't uh, returned to competition in several years. Okay. Um, but we saw some great homegrown talent that unified um, last yeah. year. How many fighters do you think are going to be in the UFC from Canada in a year, if you were to predict it, given the talent that you see, I'm sure, day in and day out uh, with Crew Allen and also at Niagara Top Team? There's a lot of up-and-coming talent. I think in the next year, you're going to see a few guys break through. And over the next few years, I think there's going to be a lot of guys break through from especially the southern Ontario region. We've had some tough kids come out from Calgary to uh, to train with us in Niagara. We saw on that card um, in Unified, there was no shortage of high-quality Canadian talent. Like Just watching those fights, you know there's at least, uh, at least a few of those guys could be thrown directly into the UFC and do just fine. A couple others you could throw on contender series and, and they could probably earn their way in. So do you think on this day next year, we'll see close to 20 Canadians in the UFC? I mean, again, they're bringing the UFC back to Canada this year by all accounts. And if that's the case, usually they take some talent from the area and put them on the card. Yeah, I would love to see 20 would be amazing. Even if we could get it to 16 next year, like that's an extra 25% Canadians. Like, or yeah, that I, I would I would love to get those numbers up. 
Well, the third Canadian on this weekend's card is your teammate, Jasmine Jazdavicious. She's facing another Brazilian newcomer, uh, like she did, I, I believe, in her last outing. Um, how's her training been? I don't know how much of it was spent in Florida and how much in Niagara, but, you know, it seems like she's the real deal. It just seems like she got a really late start to her career. Yeah, she's a beast. She's awesome. She, uh, I was actually already a professional fighter, having fought in Bellator and having moved to California to train full time before she ever started training. And she still managed to beat me to the UFC by, uh, I think, one or two weeks on Contender Series, which is wild to me. Like, I met her at uh, Chris Prickett's house, my wrestling coach. They had just they'd been out on a few dates and we all kind of met up and, and hung out. And she was like, oh, man, wrestling and MMA seems like kind of cool. I think that'd be something I'd be interested in. And you're like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Like, of course, you know, pe people say that to be nice or whatever. And then I flew back to Sacramento, came back to California, came back to Canada six months later. And Prickett said, dude, since you hung out with Jasmine or you, the three of us hung out and talked about fighting, Jasmine hasn't missed a day of training. And she's got her first boxing fight coming up. I'm like, no way. She just ran through amateur competitions she's super active she's a incre she's an incredibly hard worker so as as surprising as it is to see someone ascend to this level that quickly when you take into consideration how hard she works and the people she's surrounded herself with and her team and her ability to travel and train it's really not all that surprising yeah, her story is absolutely bananas like it's yeah. she she just goes i believe she goes on a blind date with her friend who's friends with chris and her friend brings Chris, and they meet yeah. that way. She goes to see, I guess, Jason Sago was training with Chris. Goes yes. to see him compete in Ottawa. She's sitting next to her friend, and she's like, I'm going to be in the UFC one day. And she had, like, barely started training. It's yeah. just an unbelievable story that, uh, yeah. you know, people need to learn about with her. Like, if you were yeah. to take, I, I guess she's 33, turning 34 soon, but how old <laughs> would you consider her to be in MMA years, if you were to put it into context with when she started? Right, so... You look at 33, There's there are a lot of ways to be 33. There are guys who are 33 that are just guys and girls that are just kind of getting their careers started and they've got a solid five years left in them. And then there's people at 33 where you're like, dude, you should have retired two years ago. Like, you look horrible. Been fighting pro since you were 19 and you haven't, haven't exactly had the smoothest route. So she seems like her body seems healthy. Like, she, she still trains like crazy. Um, she, she puts a lot of work into training, recovery. She seems like she's doing all the right stuff. So I think she's got a solid several years ahead of her. Did you expect to have this much time off? It's been nearly a year since you last fought. Yeah, no, absolutely not. No, I thought for sure they were going to put me back in a lot sooner than that. Um, just kind of the way MMA works out sometimes. Uh, really hoping I run through this guy, get this stoppage have a great performance this weekend and can turn back around and get one in in June or July and ideally get at least three in this year would be great. I want to be way more active this year. So when would you like to fight next? If you had your, you know, like you said, if you get the win this weekend and they call you for a quick turnaround, like what's a quick turnaround for you? Uh, I'm not looking to take a short notice fight right now. I think I, I'd like another camp, but I'd, I'd like to take two weeks and chill out a bit. And, you know, I'm, I'm always training, even when I, take vacations it's it's two other places to train and it's a little bit lighter but um i'd like to have a couple weeks where i don't have to focus on a fight and then get right back into fight camp would be nice so june would june would be awesome july would be great august at latest would be awesome
Your brother Jeff's killing it in the AHL right now. I'm not yeah. the biggest hockey guy, but, you know, I, I did a little bit of research prior to this interview. Mm-hmm. Trade deadline's coming up next week. There's a good chance that, you know, if Winnipeg makes a couple moves here and there, he ends up uh, on the, the main roster for the remainder of the season. Is that what he's expecting? I don't know if he's expecting that, but I think we're all having our fingers crossed for that. Like, of course, we want to see him get pulled up. He's an awesome hockey player. He seems like he's scoring goals and getting assists every game. He's a, a points leader on the team, a goal leader on the team. He had a little bit of a dry couple of weeks as far as goals, but broke that broke that streak. He had a bunch of assists, but uh, broke the the no goal streak a game or two ago. And you know, he's right back into being one of the leading point scorers on the team for. Uh, the Manitoba Moose. So I hope that, that that's enough to get him pulled up to the big leagues. That would be awesome. Yeah, Winnipeg's Jets Winnipeg's jet shirt on right now supporting them. Oh, it's the blue on blue, so it's hard for me to tell. Yeah, right. It's just a little it's just a little subtle one, but you got the the Jets on. I like that. Well, one last question for you, and I know that you have no you know real knowledge of this because you're fighting this weekend, so they couldn't have called you for an event that is not yet taking place. But if you were to predict when does the UFC come back to Canada, and what city would it be in? What's your prediction? I hope they're coming back this summer, man. They've got to come back soon. People are dying for events. I was at a local boxing fight uh, two weeks ago, a Three Lines promotion fight, and it was sold out. People are just dying to have live sporting events, live fights. Like People have been locked up for a few years, so um, we need to get something. I'm, I'm going to make... Uh, make a, a shout out on the mic after the fight just to try and rally the UFC back to Canada. I'll, I'll take anywhere in Canada, but of course, number one I'm pulling for is Toronto, right? One, it seems to be the biggest fight city in Canada, and two, it's closest to home. All right, well, we'll see how it plays out. You said two years. We're coming up on three. Like that, that yeah. Yoel Romero-Israel and Desonia fight was beginning of March in yeah. uh, 2020. <laughs> We're 2023 now, so it's pretty crazy how that time's gone by. Yeah, no kidding. Well, we're looking forward to it, and we're looking forward to seeing 21% of the UFC's Canadian roster compete this weekend. Yourself versus Johan Linus, your teammate, Jasmine Jazdavicius. It's uh, all this weekend at the UFC Apex. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you having me on. Pleased to be joined now by Johan Linus. We've got three of the 12 active Canadians competing on the same card, and two of them happen to be facing each other. It's yourself and Mike Malott. And I spoke to Mike just a little bit earlier. He said the two of you have kind of trained together, didn't expect to ever get really matched up in the UFC because you're the only two Canadians in the welterweight division. And now, of course, here we are. So tell me about Mike Malott as a matchup for you. Uh, I think it's going to be an exciting matchup. Uh, Mike is a finisher. I'm a finisher. We both start very strong in the first round. So I'm um, very excited for this fight. Uh, of course, we are in the in the main card. So that that's going to be an amazing show. Uh, I'm very... And the two of you have trained together previously, but not, not that often. But I believe you guys have sparred once together. Did you learn anything from that experience sparring with him? Obviously, sparring and a real fight are, are very different, but... What what was it like being in there with him so recently? I guess in the last year. Uh, yeah, well, I was in the Niagara Top Team like for one weeks uh, for working on my wrestling and other things. Uh, it was very nice, man. Uh, it, I, I learned a lot of stuff. Uh, like you said, we didn't exchange a lot. Like we did one round. It was a very smooth round. So uh, we we can uh, we can fix nothing about that round. Um, I, 
you know, uh, you can be the, 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 the best fighter in the gym, but uh, fight night, everything is different. We got the pressure, we got the stress, we got all the all that energy, all that stuff. So uh, the most important thing is fight night. Uh, you need to be present, and I'm very good uh, about that. Yeah, absolutely. And when you found out that he was going to be your opponent, he he kind of found out from you. You texted him and said, you know, I guess we're being matched up together. So what was your reaction when they said you're going to be fighting Mike Malott or we'd like you to fight Mike Malott? Uh, my reaction was, uh, is it is it uh, possible that the two only Canadian in the welterweight division fight uh, in Las Vegas? Maybe it was in Canada. I was like, oh, okay, it's going to be a, an amazing uh, local fight. But, uh, man, I, I was just surprised. I text him, yeah, uh, Mike, man, they, they give me your name. Uh, I'm going to accept it. Uh, what, what you think about it? Uh, and tell me, uh, we, I'm, I'm going to accept it too, man. Uh, give, give, give us a, a good show. And uh, it's the name of the game. So uh, now we are here. Uh, an amazing training camp, I think, for both guys. So Yeah, it would have been nice if, of course, this fight was in Canada. And... Again, judging by the fact that there's three of you on this card, if they're going to do a Canadian card, you know, the first one since the, pan- the start of the pandemic, probably three three months from now, if you had to guess that they want to get as many Canadians on the card as possible. Again, just taking a, a guess, but I mean, it's February. Looking probably May, if I had to guess that they're going to come back to Canada based on you guys being on this card. I think, I, I hope, I hope, man. We have uh, Marc-André Barrio, Charles Jourdain, uh, me, Mike, Jasmine, uh, Eamon's Abbey, so I'm pretty sure if the UFC came back in Canada, uh, it's going to be an amazing show, man. And we did see Tanner Bozer get lined up, but he's competing in Kansas City. So he's yeah, he's sure. out if they're coming back in May, unless he uh, has a quick turnaround. So what was this camp like for you? Same same training conditions as usual? Same gym? Uh, a lot of different things, man. I work a lot on my cardio. Uh, I know... It, I didn't have a lot of experience in the cage. Of course, my last performance with Darian Weeks gave me a lot of confidence about my conditioning. Uh, for this camp, I, I was going to train a lot with the Firaz Zabi at TriStar Gym uh, because uh, they have a lot of good fighters. So uh, I did a more round, I did more sparring, and that's helped me a lot to uh, manage my energy, to, uh, to, to control uh, more aspect in the game. Uh, I never, I, I never turned a corner uh, uh, quick. Uh, I did all I have to do. I did my diet, work on my wrestling, work on my BGG. Did a lot of sparring, the round man. I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. Uh, it's always the the most important fight. So that's is the most important for me. That- yeah, it looks like a blackout just happened in the middle of the interview. But of course, you're still connected to me through the internet. So. I, I, something must have gone wrong. Yes. All right. Everything is better now. So, like I said, I was going to try star. I got my team and uh, working Patrick Cote a lot. I got my jujitsu coach, striking coach. But I was going like two or three times a week at TriStar to do more sparring, and I think that's the more uh, game changer in my in my training camp. If I look at your last two fights, I guess your only two fights really in the UFC. In your first fight, you, you had 41 significant strikes landed in under three rounds. And in this last fight, 23 over the course of the full three rounds. So how much is pacing a factor in terms of how you're going to compete going forward? How much are you going to be looking for that and making sure that you don't you know, exhaust yourself by the end of a fight? Or has all of the work that you've been doing on cardio 
you know, does that mean that you can start having a lot higher of an output over the course of three rounds? Uh, my last fight, my last fight was uh, the game plan was keep the distance, use your jab, don't get hit, win the fight closely, but go at the distance. I want, I want to have like a, a three round of five minutes, and that's exactly what I did. I'm the kind of guy who follow my game plan. I have uh, a lot of weapons, uh, but it, like you said, in my first UFC fight, I start very strong. I want to finish the guy. So uh, it's very it's the perfect way for me because now I know I can uh, open the machine, do a lot of combination after rest well, move around, uh, recuperation a lot, and go back to another combination. So uh, it helped me to manage my energy a lot. So now uh, we're gonna be able to 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 go more harder and uh, try to recovery in the round more. So. Uh, it was the best, uh, best, best. How many times are you looking to fight in 2023? Uh, three times will be the best, uh, minimum. If everything going well, four is always good. I'm the kind of guy who uh, I, I've usually, I'm a habit to, to fight like three or four times by years. Uh, so in the last years, I fight, I got contender series. And uh, I got I got CFFC champion contender series and my first UFC fight. So uh, for me, three years. Three... Every fighter wants to fight three times a year. They need to start doing more cards on Wednesdays or something. I I feel like there's enough fighters that can give them three fights a year, but they just need to add more cards. And you know, there's more content. Everybody leaves happy. Do shows at the Apex on Wednesdays, and then on Saturdays you travel to all the different cities. I think that's. That's the model they should be looking at, in my opinion. If we want to get all the, all the fighters three fights, I spoke to Mike Malott earlier. He wants three fights. You want three fights. You know, Volkanovski I spoke to wants three fights. So, you know, I feel like they can make this happen. Yeah, uh, I think the, the UFC is very, a very big organization and they can do whatever they want. So uh, maybe it will be a nice... I agree. Well, Johan, it's a pleasure catching up with you uh, once again this weekend. Yourself, Mike Malott on the main card, UFC Fight Night. Headlined by Ryan Spann, taking on Nikita Krylov. Uh, appreciate your time. Thank you for this and look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Happy to be joined by Jasmine Jazdavicious, who is back in action this weekend at UFC Fight Night. One of three Canadians on the card, including her teammate Mike Malott. Uh, this time is kind of a similar situation. It's another short notice opponent, uh, Brazilian, making her debut in the UFC. The only difference is this time, with Gabriela Fernandez. She has a lot of different fights that have happened over the last couple of years. There's no layoff here. Is that helpful to be able to watch her fight more recently so you kind of know what you're getting into? Yeah, that's super helpful. The You know, the girl that I had before, I had no tape on her, no video. I had no idea anything about her for two years. Like, a lot changes in two years. So the fact that this girl has tape, I, I'm very happy. So tell me a bit about her then, if you can break down her game. What, what should we be looking for, for those that haven't seen her fight before? Uh, she's like a southpaw kicker, you know, good, good, uh, good kicks every, everywhere. And, um, but, you know, her grappling stick too. She's a, she's a purple belt. She's got some submission wins. So she's obviously well-rounded, well-deserving to be in the UFC. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been a little bit of a, a layoff for you since June. Are you excited to get back during this timeline? Is this around the time you wanted to get back in, or were you hoping to get a fight sooner? I was hoping to get a fight sooner. Um, 
there I was trying to fight like back in November, but I think there was like a mix up with with something and then I was like there was a rumor that there was going to be a Canada card at the start of January, so I'm like, okay, well, all else fails if I don't get anything November, December, I'll get something in January for sure. They'll put me on the card in Canada. So then once I heard that that was just a rumor, there was the it's not actually coming. Then I was just like, okay, let's just get a fight like ASAP whenever we can. And February 25th was the date, so I'm like, let's go. See the conspiracy theorist in me here makes me think that because you and Mike and Johan are all on the same card, they want to turn you around in three or four months for the first card in Canada since the pandemic in maybe May or June. I doubt you've heard anything because you're fighting this weekend, but that's just the way that I'm thinking. I'd like to see that happen. I mean, I'm hoping that that would be ideal. Like, I, I, don't, I want to be active this year. And I, and so if they've got a fight card in Canada right away, I'm, that's, that's awesome. I asked Mike this earlier when we spoke. You're turning 33, I believe it is, or is it 34 next week? Um, but in fight years, you're still relatively young. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you're just kind of getting started in the sport, even though for a lot of different fighters in your, in your weight class, this is kind of like the twilight years for most of their careers? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I didn't start when I was very young and, like, have all this wear and tear on my body. My body's still strong. It's good. I don't have little injuries that pop up or anything like that. And so I think that's one of the, the fortunate parts about starting late. Yeah, I mean, your story is really quite remarkable. And Mike told me something that I hadn't known either is that he was training, of course, uh, in Niagara. And you and Chris had just started dating. And I guess when he came back... He, you know, Chris was like, Jazz is doing great. She's, she hasn't left the gym since we last spoke. And like, she's winning these amateur boxing matches. And he, he just, he says you got to the UFC before he did. And he's been fighting for what, like nine, 10 years. So it's just kind of, again, really cool to hear your story and to hear how quickly you got to the UFC. Yeah, the the one day, like, I think it was the, the week after his contender series, he came back and then he's like, Jazz, how the hell did you get in the UFC before me? You just started training. And like we, so we had like a good good laugh about it. Uh, I remember when when Chris and I like first started dating, he I was over at his place and Mike came over. First time I ever met Mike. And um, the Chris is like, oh, yeah, do some jujitsu with Mike. And, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm just trying my hardest. And, you know, he's just beating beat me up. But then uh, afterwards, they were talking, like, man, she's pretty, like, feisty. Everything like that. I was like, okay, like, this is sweet. <laughs> yes, his side of that story, he told me uh, the same story of the first time you guys met at Chris's place. And his side was that you came up and was like, yeah, I think this, like, boxing, this BJJ and martial arts stuff is pretty cool. I'm going to get really into it. And he was like, yeah, you know, yeah, sure, like, the kind of thing that you would say to a fighter one day. But again, here we are, and you're in the UFC, and you were there before he was. Yeah, oh, man. I, I'm going to try to get Chris to find the video, because there's a video of us rolling, like, for the very first time. Yeah, you got to get that out on social media this week. You might have might be a little late. To the, your social media guy who's been doing a great job, like, he's got to get on top of that kind of stuff. I know. I just remembered that we had this video. I'm going to let him know this afternoon. <laughs> Speaking of which, you have been very active on social media lately. Um, what made you decide to make that a priority in your career? Uh, so obviously I realized how important social media is a part of this. And I was really trying to do it on my own. But it's like 
you know, imagine going into an MMA fight without a coach, you, you know, that, that doesn't make sense. And so I'm trying to navigate this social media world without having any, any coach, any guidance or anything. So now I've got help from my, my boy, Michael Goisman. He is awesome. He's helping me out. Like, I don't know what trend, what trends are going on right now. I don't know any of that stuff. And so He's just around filming me and I'm just acting like me, you know? <laughs> so I think, I think that it's like, it's awesome because people get to see my personality. I get to connect with, with the, the, the people that are watching my fights, you know, when they, when they message me and they're like, Oh, cool video or something like that. You know, I like, I like that because it's, it's nice for me to be able to engage back with them. And a lot of this engagement has led to some pretty big things. I know you're making your debut on the MMA Hour, and I guess an hour from when we're taping this interview. So are you excited about that? Yeah, I'm super excited. You know, I had Goisman's help with that. You know, he's saying, okay, let's tweet this. And so, uh, yeah, he's he's killing it for me. Well, I mean, you're also killing it. You've got a trophy in the background that if I can read it <laughs> uh, correctly, if I my, my prescription is not failing me, it says best woman. So what's the story behind that? Yeah, so um, when it was my my debut, I was in the hotel and D Marks and Jelly they were they were out uh, like getting some groceries or something like that, and one of them saw that, and uh, so they bought that for me and brought it back. So now every time I go on a fight trip, I I bring it. <laughs> that's that's awful nice of you to uh, to acknowledge this. So that's this is part of the journey is this trophy. Exactly. Yeah, Jelly's an interesting guy. I got to hang out with him. I was doing commentary with Mike, actually, for that Unified card uh, back in December. And I, I got to hang out with Jelly. He's an interesting character. He's a guy that, I guess, has been around the world working in all kinds of different MMA camps. And now, I guess, he's settled down with you guys at Niagara Top Team. So tell me a little bit about him and what he brings to, uh, to the camp. Yeah, so obviously we're very fortunate to have Jelly. You know, he he was a little bit of a nomad, but you know, we we snagged him up, and uh, he I I think he's enjoying it in Niagara at least. You know, he's got a beautiful girlfriend, a nice dog, he's got a place, so he's never settled in that hard at any spot. So I know that we're we're gonna keep him for as long as we can, hopefully forever. Well, um, I mean. But- if- if you think Thailand's a beautiful place, you have to check out Ontario Street in uh, in in St. Catharines. You'll never want to leave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nice that that he's part of the team. I used to live on Ontario Street, so that's why I bring up Ontario Street. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I always ask you this question every time I speak to you. Has it happened yet? Has your friend gotten the tattoo as of yet that she has promised to get once you became a UFC fighter? No, I know she hasn't gotten it, but literally... We still plan on doing it. Like every once in a while, I message her and be like, "Okay, we really got to get this tattoo thing done." And she's like, "Yep." But then she doesn't. She, it's not like she actually wants to do it. So it's on me to actually get it done and everything. But I got it. I gotta do it. Ugh. Yeah, it's time for some accountability. We're gonna set. I say this to you every time again. We're gonna set this up and we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna figure out how to make this a sports center story because I think the story of your journey as a whole is incredible but then having this is kind of the you know this is what happened as a result of all of that hard work and now your friend unfortunately has to get this tattoo although i think for you i think you probably think it's fortunate because you did make it to the ufc and it's a pretty funny story but i think that it's a really good way to to kind of wrap up your story to where it is today i agree and you know what 
one of my main training partners at home is like a very talented tattoo artist too. So we have the we have the artist, we have the she has her own shop and everything. I just you know what? Let's just set a date right now and let's do it. I'll just tell her you need to be available this day. All right, I'll talk to our production. I'll talk to our team, our feature team, and we're we're gonna make this happen. Uh, yeah. Speaking of making things happen, you're making things happen in the cage in the UFC. You're uh, competing this weekend against Gabriela Fernandez, one of three Canadians on the card. We've got twenty percent, twenty-one percent of the active Canadians in the UFC on one card, so you don't want to miss that this weekend. Uh, thanks for doing this, Jazz, and always a pleasure catching up with you. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. He's the former UFC welterweight champion from the time he became champion to the time he lost the belt. He was the most active champion in the UFC. Don't believe the lies if somebody tells you otherwise. He is Tyron Woodley. He's a guest judge at the PFL's Challenger Series. Uh, how did this opportunity come about, Tyron? You know, I talked to George Greenberg. He was my boss at um, Fox. He ran the whole show over there. And then um, I think he had retired for a while. And then the PFL made him something special and unique and different that, that brought him out the... Um, out the retirement realm, and then he hit me up um, about coming out and doing a celebrity um, judging. When you think about the celebrity judge, it's not just judging if the person wins, because we're not the judges. They're going to win or lose regardless of what we say. We're judging from our eye. Can we see talent? Can we see this kid is promising? Do they make you care enough to want to watch on a Saturday night and stop what you're doing? Are they the full package? And I think from being a young fighter that was hungry and up and coming, being someone that progressed to becoming a champion and reigning, being in some of the bigger fights for the last two or three years, just with the promotional side, as well as just understanding talent, like, you know, seeing a fighter like a Michael Chandler or somebody like that and, and identifying that they had the it factor. I think all those things um, blended with some of the entertainment things makes me the perfect person to be on the panel because we're talking about not – are they a good fighter? Can they talk crap? Can they win? Can they sell a fight? Can they do everything? And that's what they bring me, Ray, Vitor, Wiz, um, Randy, all these different people that, that have that experience to see what do we believe. Yeah, you made an important designation there that I probably should have mentioned off the top. You're not there on behalf of the commission as like a licensed judge. You're there as a celebrity judge yeah. to help determine who's going to be in the PFL tournament. So that's a pretty important yeah. designation. I'm glad you that. And it's just that one out. vote, too. So it's like, it's not, we don't have the absolute vote. So we, we say collectively, us three, and every time, every week, we're not in agreement. Last time I did it, you know, Randy and I was, you know, in agreement, and Paige wanted to go a different direction. And the time before then, um, me, Randy, and um, Wiz all agree. That's one vote, and then the fans get opportunity to vote. So when you look at some of this judging, you look at some of these fights, fans are complaining because they watch more fights than these judges watch, to be honest. And they're more familiar with the, the matchups and who the fighter are. So if a wrestler is out striking the striker, they may weigh that heavier than a judge will um, weigh the fight card. So... I'm not going to say fans are more knowledgeable at judging, but they're more invested in the outcome of the fight than a judge would be. Because if a judge was invested, he wouldn't be a judge. Right? He'd be showing favoritism. So I think that when you put our vote, um, which is three of us are going to give our vote, and you got the fans that are going to vote live, they can really have a say-so. And it's the first time in a long time you see the fans really getting a say-so. Now, if those votes match then that's the person that get the contract. If they don't match, then they bring in Ray Seffo, and then Ray Seffo says, you know what? Fans said this. Celebrity judge said this. 
I'm going to say this. So I think they just add a little razzle-dazzle to it. Now, as for the PFL, they're launching a pay-per-view division uh, where they're really trying to lure big-name fighters to the table to try to sell some pay-per-views and put on great fights. Obviously, as a former UFC champion, you would be a great candidate for this division. Have they spoken to you at all about perhaps competing in the PFL? For sure. They spoke to me about competing in it. They spoke to me about some matchups um, before they even announced that they were going to do it. And um, obviously, you know, they're bringing in some spark, bringing in some new names. So I'm definitely going to be one of the top guys on the list um, as a candidate for it. Um, with me, it's just this year, I'm just out here touching bread, man. I'm out here, you know, trying to make moves, big moves. And um, if there's a situation that makes sense, uh, I've been talking to Peter and um, George and, I feel like they'll make something happen that makes sense. It has to make sense for them and me. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely open to it, for sure. I wouldn't work for I wouldn't work for a company if I wasn't open to fighting for them because that means I don't believe in them, and I'm not working for anybody I don't believe in. Well, I've been told Jake Paul's going to be making his MMA debut hopefully at the beginning of 2024. Now you've boxed him. Do you think that he'd have any interest in in facing you in terms of MMA? Ooh. Jake, Jake, that's what. <laughs> I don't think Jake want to see that type of um, Tyron Woodley because I can do, I can do a couple things differently. I can, you know, I can slam you in your head. I can submit you. I can drop elbows on you. I can kick you. I can, I can do a lot of different things. So, um, I don't know if I would be the first person he want to fight, but I don't know. Many people would have thought that we weren't the first people he wanted to fight in boxing. So, um, I think the internet would break with an MMA fight because I think a lot of people want to see how he would have done in MMA because that's, that's where I started at. So I would definitely be down for that. I mean, I don't know what it is about fighting Jake, but it's just something about him that makes me want to train hard and fight and excited for the fight. I love the buildups behind it. Um, obviously, I didn't. I wasn't a big fan of the, the outcomes of the last two fights, but um, I put myself in a, the right position. I took the fight, um, and I should have taken the fight. And I was winning both fights. I thought I won the first one, but the second one I was definitely winning. And shit, you drop your hand, you get hit. You should tell the PFL, you know, $0. I'll do it for free. I'll, I'll get the 50-50 equity split on the pay-per-view, and I'll just I'll do it for free. I'll, I'll welcome Jake to the, the MMA world. He's, you know, I don't want to disrespect Jake because he's done a lot in terms of boxing, but I think that's easy money for Tyron Woodley. Yeah, you know, I mean... It'll have to be some money though. Fifty fifty split wouldn't be enough because <laughs> they building that they build they building the pay per view structure. If it was already built and it was like one in was George St Pierre the one sitting behind you. If he would have built it the way he did, then then I would have um, probably I still would have to get paid. Though. That's a principal matter. Somebody can't go out there and get making the check. But I like the idea. I like the confidence. Something where basically I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is and take the take the money on the end of um, being victorious seems like you've really enjoyed this whole process of being a free agent. You know, once you were released from the cool. UFC, you can just go and, and do as, as you see fit. Um, and it feels mm -hmm. like... I never, you, I never yeah. was released from the UFC. That's what a lot of people don't know. I never was released. Um, I, I fought my contract out, so they didn't release me. Um, I thought they were going to release me at one point um, when they was like, oh, we got these, we got some names. It's going to surprise and when you see these names. I'm like, they trying to be funny. It's going to be me. But um, I never got released from the UFC. I just fought my contract out. And um, it was it was not either either party wasn't trying to go crazy on trying to redo another deal. So um, it was just time for me to do something different. And I am the only free agent in this industry that can really do what they want to do. And it's, the freedom is crazy. I can fight for whoever I want to. I can commentate for whoever I want to. I can make the, the money. Um, 
the money I should make and nobody can really tell me what to do and the freedom is liberating and I, I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy my time in the UFC and I'm not thankful, not blessed for being able to be the champion of the world is obviously putting me in a position right now where my accolades um, allow me to get paid what I need to get paid. So my time there was was time that I feel like um, God put me in a great position and I was able to, to create history there. And now it's time for me to do it on my own. And I've, I've done a good job so far and I got a lot of, a lot of big things on the horizon. I just made a big trip to the Middle East, just got back. And um, yeah, we're gonna be doing some international stuff really soon. I feel bad because I did remember that your contract expired. It's just, it's been a couple of years and you know. I remember though, once, a, you, once you mentioned it, I, I remembered it. But, it was, but it, was a, it was a week where I thought I was gonna be on that list of people that was released from the UFC. And I thought it was like on purpose of like, you know, try to sabotage, but I ended up not being on that list, but I thought I was. So tell me about what's going on in the Middle East, if, if you're allowed to disclose anything that you've negotiated. I'm not allowed to speak on it, but I'm, I, I'm allowed to tell you I'm going to be touching bread in many, many different countries. And um, for sure, um, a situation that when people see it, that a lot of people will try to mimic it, but they would never duplicate the vision. So... I am, I'm in a great position right now. I'm excited. I'm thankful. I'm blessed. And um, I'm a little tired, man. I've been, I've been up 10 days straight, man. I was over there. I didn't go to sleep. I was working. I was working. I was working. I went to three different countries and then tapped into a fourth country um, um, via communication. I didn't physically go, but um, yeah, I've covered a lot of ground in 10 days. I'm very excited. And uh, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. So I'm going to recharge, reset, implement. Um, and go back out there and seal some deals. I've got to ask you this because you're, you know, far enough removed from your UFC career and, and kind of an MMA career. In terms of pay, fighter pay, tell me if you agree with this. Mid-card fighters and fighters that fight kind of early on the card, they're paid pretty well in terms of like the overall scope of combat sports. You look at boxing, there's kind of really two big fights maybe on, on every card. Whereas the UFC, if people are watching from beginning to end, the fighters that are on the kind of the prelims and the mid card, they're paid pretty well. It's the fighters at the very top where, you know, where they're looking for more money because they with the box, you know, the big boxers make and the boxers that are headlining these cards. Do you think that's a fair statement that the percentage of mixed martial artists are I paid think the fair? Fairest, I think the fairest statement to be made is that you got fighters that are on a PFL that are um, establishing themselves and they're getting their name out there and they have the opportunity to make a million dollars to win a tournament. Now you can soak soak that in. It's fighters that are well known, that are ranked, that are high, that are number one contenders that would never, ever make a million dollars to fight ever. It's many fighters that are champions that are not making a million dollars um, in any organization. So um, I feel like the structure that the PFL has right now is one that many organizations should look at um, if they want to do comparison. I think everything is who the person is, who their manager is, what their relationship with the organization is. And I don't like to speak on like, they should be making that, they should be making that because I don't know the details, but I know myself personally, I put myself in position to make top dollar every time I set a bunion in a, a canvas, cage, ring, or wherever, because that's why, that's my principles and those are my values. So, um, Fighter pay is a, is a is a issue, but instead of pointing out what I think people should get paid and what they're getting on that, I'm just going to point out an organization that is paying 
up and coming fighters, something that we have never seen them be paid before. Um, they're paying them handsomely and they're giving them opportunity very early in their career to fight for a million dollars. So I feel like that incentive is getting the excitement that the fight fans deserve. So shout out to PFL for doing that. Yeah, the cool thing about that also is it's just meritocracy, right? Like if you win, you win, right? It's, you know, you don't need to, to talk a big game or, or you know, if, if, you, crazy have, press if you got two followers with two million, if you win, you win. You know, <laughs> Steph, Curry, Steph Curry may not have to um, curse you out and wear a suit and throw a can of soda at your head. Um, if he can shoot a three, he wins a NBA final. So I think it's getting back a little bit to more of the sport, but finding a way for the entertainment to exist as well. And final question, do you have a dream fight? Like if I said to you, Tyron, you can have any fight in the world, any sport, it'll, you know, you can choose it. You can choose the location. What would that be? Um, you wouldn't have to look too far around. I mean, you, your background is kind of um, giving me a couple ideas. So this guy, <laughs> well, I know you fought this that? guy. You fought this guy already, but that guy you never fought. Who is that? Well, we got George, we got Jake Shields, George, and then we got, yeah, we got a couple George things here, and we got Daniel Cormier. I don't think you want to fight Daniel Cormier. Yeah, I think you can read in between the lines. <laughs> you'd, want, you'd want to face George? I mean, you were calling for George for a long time. George is the best. Why wouldn't I call for him? Who's, who's the better one for waiting George? Yeah. Well, How long I mean, has he been away from the sport? I mean, I, I, was trying to, I was trying to contest that I was, and I was willing to prove it by fighting him. But you can't prove it without fighting him. I could have won a, I could have won ten world titles in a row, and people could have said I was second to him. You never know, you know what I mean. So <clears throat> at the end of the day, he was when he was in the organization, and when he left, he still is the best welterweight of all times. So why would I want to fight him? Not the PFL wants to sell pay per views. He's a free agent now, from what I understand. He's what less than a year older than you are. I mean, I don't see it being a, a big uh, a big problem. <laughs> no comment. I mean, nothing. Yeah. No, I, I just, I just, you know, <laughs> man, I love the Middle East. Okay, okay. Well, I guess we might read between <laughs> the lines a little bit there. All right. Well, um, if you're if what you're hinting at ends up coming to fruition. I think that would be uh, something that a lot of people would watch. And I think that Canada up here, I mean, hey, you don't need to ask us twice. You know, I, I, I think I think that fight fans in general, like when you look at real fights, a real, real fight that makes sense, that you don't have to do the extras. I don't have to act like I hate him. I can act like he the best. And I can act like if I beat him, I'm the best. And that'll sell. He was the first and only fighter and the last fighter and his martial arts soul pay-per-views, not his mouth. And hypothetically, you're talking MMA here in terms of this dream fight that's a total phantom dream fight. I'm not fight. talking anything right now. Well, I like, said it's I'm hypothetical. It's a dream fight. I mean, I'm like not, I said, I'm I asked not, you what your not, dream not. fight would be. Was that, that would be All right, MMA. hypothetically, you asked me. Yeah, you did. Hypothetically, you asked me my dream fight. My dream fight would be to fight your St. Pierre in a mixed martial arts fight. That would, be, that would be my number one choice if I had any fight. He's the best welterweight of all time, and um, I feel like I feel like I am, and I feel like I always felt like I can beat him. I never had a chance to show it, never had a chance to prove it, and um, there's not a fight I respect more than George. And um, yeah, 
All right. Well, I appreciate you, Tyron. And hey, that's Canadian royalty. You'll be the judge on a celebrity judge, judging panel to decide who's going to be getting into the PFL. Great Canadian kid, Anthony Romero on the card. This is uh, the PFL on Fubo TV, the Challenger Series. Uh, thank you for your time. Always appreciate it, Tyron. And uh, really happy we got to catch up. Thank you, my man. I appreciate you. A huge thanks to all of our guests, Tatiana Suarez, Mike Malott, Johan Linus, Jasmine Jazdavicious, and Tyron Woodley. And thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in to this week's show. Appreciate you very much. You can find all of my work at www.aaron.report. Please be sure to check that out. You can visit my uh, TikTok account. I could use some TikTok followers, so please uh, do check that out. So uh, appreciate you tuning in. Please rate and review the show wherever you find it, yada, yada, yada. You know, you know the drill. I say it every week. If, you're, if it's your first time tuning in, you're lucky. This is the first time you'll hear me say it. But I do appreciate you. And until next week, be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.